Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast, folks. We are now four, count them, four days away from Ducks hockey being back in our lives. Now, by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening on Monday, more like three days away. So this is, any, and if you even want to really distill it down further, two days without any hockey after Monday, and then you've got a game day. So all that to say... We're getting very close. It, by, by the time that by the next time we record, we will have actual games to talk about. So that's exciting, Jake. There is hockey on this or hockey this week. It is yeah. insane that we are actually getting this. Like I am. It's, it still so, doesn't so feel happy. real. Yeah, it, it still really doesn't, doesn't feel real. Maybe because we have no evidence that the Ducks are actually scrimmaging or, or pictures, or, or that training camp is even happening. <laughs> Should we get totally into that? kidding? Should, totally should get, kidding. Should we get into that right now, real quick? I mean that that seems to be the hill that you want to die on. So why don't you just just real quick is and I feel like I'm voicing a frustration of a lot of people here that mm-hmm. if you go on Twitter, you see that there's a lot of different uh, teams out there that are doing streams on YouTube, streams on Twitch, streams on TV, um, having them live tweet out. Uh, the scrimmage even if they can't stream it they're at least live tweeting information from it and there has been a lack of any of that and it really almost feels like camp has barely been happening and i mean thank you to eric stevens for all the work he's doing with getting the information that he's getting while not actually be able to watch practices and putting pushing out things but it almost feels like training camp isn't even happening with all of the information that we've gotten and so just frustrating it's we've kind of learned to do this on the fly, I think, right? Doing Twitch streaming, everything like that. And so I can tell you, it's not that hard to do. And it would have been a very good avenue for the Ducks, I think, to look into to be able to start streaming practice, streaming camp, engaging your fan base in a new way. Um, And and that's really kind of all I have to say on it. It's frustrating. I don't want to get into too much, but hit us up if you want to stream. We'll throw it on this channel. Come on, Ducks. Hit us up for it. I'll let you use the Crash the Pond channel. <laughs> yeah, if the if the Ducks want to have some kind of in-game uh, stream to engage fans, we'll we'll happily we'll happily do it. Although I don't know how much of the fan base is eager to hear about uh, analytics, so real, we might have we might have quick, to make sure on that. Real quick, this needs to be addressed because there are already people in the Twitch chat mentioning this. Uh, Defend the Nest said, "Whoa, Felix coming in or at you from a villain's cave." Uh, Science Cat resubscribed, who's our good friend uh, Jess from our beer league team, said, "Is Felix in a fur coat?" <laughs> um, Lewis X, I don't know if this is in reference to you, Damian Lee. Or is yeah, that something Damian else? Lee. I think the Warriors just. Won, oh, that, that's a Warriors reference. So, uh, yeah. Felix, for anyone not watching the video version of this, is wearing a fur coat of some sort. Is it fur? I don't know if it's. It, fur. it reminds me. The joke that I made to him when I saw him was that it almost looked like he's in the Macklemore music video. Uh, for thrift shop and uh possible yeah so it seems like he was gonna go pop some tags so everyone go check out the video just see felix's uh, beautiful fur coat thanks it's it's actually a gift i got for christmas from my family so <laughs> ap- appreciate all the love it's extremely warm by the way you put it on and you're immediately warm and uh where i live the buildings aren't really designed to be super insulated because it's not really cold for that long of the year. So when it is cold, it's you feel it. Anyway, first world problems. 
beachside problems, but we'll we'll, we'll get past that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. Okay, so yeah, I mean, as for just to kind of put a bow in the training camp point, it is odd how limited the access has been. It almost feels as if it's intentional that they have. It's maybe an internal thing that they just really want the team to be locked in and dialed in and shut the doors. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's a reason for it, right? I mean, this is a tough year uh, financially for a lot of teams, especially a team like the Ducks that isn't a big market team. So maybe there's just some kind of cost considerations there. Who knows? I don't actually know the reason. Not ruling out that there's just no reason at all. So let's let's just leave it at that, trying to present both sides here. Yep. Now, let's go over the week's news because um, even though there, there aren't any games yet, there's plenty to talk about. So I know that you're chomping at the bit to talk about the to put a bow on the World Junior Championship. And close the book on it. It is worth discussing because Trevor Zegras, along with the other Ducks prospects on Team USA, claimed World Junior Gold in a pretty stunning uh, it was a 2-0 win. Over yes. the over Team Canada in the gold medal game and kind of just shut down Team Canada in that gold medal game and then also a great semifinal performance for USA as well against Finland. Just a really good tournament, I think, for the Ducks prospects as a whole. But if we're being really honest, a great tournament for Trevor Zegras. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Zegras came out of this with a really big shine on him. I mean, I was listening to a couple different shows today. None of them are are Ducks podcast. Steve Dangle, uh, the Steve Dangle podcast was one of them. Different things like that, and it's not normal. I think for me as a Ducks fan to hear our prospects be talked about um, on, on other teams on shows that aren't covered or aren't Ducks podcasts. And so I think to hear kind of Trevor Zegras in this high category is, is very impressive and good to see. I mean, you look at uh, Corey Pronman after the tournament put out his like tier of. Uh, prospects, and I believe that he has essentially Trevor Zegras in the category of a guy that could become an NHL all-star level of talent. And you see why in this tournament. I mean, Trevor Zegras, I mean, he led the tournament, as everyone knows, in scoring. He ended up tying Jordan Trader for the most World Junior Championship points in the history of, or by a USA player in the history of the tournament with, in a single tournament with 27, or sorry, not in the single tournament. That's over the course of um, all the games played with 27 points. Um, with Trevor Zegras doing in significantly less games. And I believe that he was one uh, point shy of Doug Waits' uh, record for most points in a single tournament by an American. And so Trevor Zegras had 18 points at the end of the day for the tournament, seven goals and 11 assists. He picked up an assist in the game against uh, Finland and had a goal and an assist in the game in the, the game against uh, Canada, um, including I think the goal they scored was really indicative of kind of his IQ level. Because we've talked a lot about in this tournament, the the big story, I think, takeaway, if you're looking for improvement in Zegers' game, it's his shot. And it sounds like that's what Bob Murray told him to go and do more. That's what Dallas Aikens wanted to see from him. Was that he? They wanted to see him go to this tournament and shoot the puck more, show what he had on that side of it as compared to just playmaking. And he made that statement. But I think he still obviously showed his ability to, to make plays in the offensive zone for his teammates. And I think he also showed his high level of IQ and hockey IQ. And I think that the goal against Canada was indicative of that. It came in after the right after the end of the or at the beginning of the second period. I believe Canada was kind of on the forefront going into intermission, even though the U.S. had a one nothing lead. And there was a shot from the point that went wide. And basically, he recognized that Devin Le- Levi had vacated his post and the puck hit the back of the net. Zegras all in one motion grabs it 
pulls it from his forehand to his backhand from below the goal line above uh, to in front, and Levi had gone across, uh, vacated his post, and just put it in off his backhand. And just that recognition of, of Levi leaving it, instead of kind of doing the easy play of going with the wraparound, kind of he, he stopped, pulled the puck in one motion, and put it in the back of the net. And that's not an easy play to make, first off, because it's much easier to not stop and continue skating. And the IQ level that it was to recognize where the puck was, where Levi went and all that just shows you where his skill level's at and his ability to recognize the correct play. And so I think that that was huge. Also, sorry to just kind of take this over, Felix, a little bit, but um, before the game, he 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 got on the front of... He, he had a newspaper-level quote of uh, basically calling out Canada and not really saying anything that controversial, I think, but he basically said Canada hadn't really faced a good team up until that point, and... Well, uh, Le- he, he specifically said it about the goaltender. Exactly. He said about testing Devin Levi because yeah. Devin Levi hadn't been tested yet, that they hadn't played a real team yet. Which, yeah. I mean, that part, that part of it might have been a little controversial, but it is true that the way Canada had been had been rolling, that they just hadn't been tested. Yeah, and, and Devin Levi hadn't necessarily been tested because of how good the defense was. And when you make a bold claim like that, and especially as someone who's had such a good tournament, you get a target on your back, and he stepped up. A goal and an assist in this game showed that Devin Levi could be beat. And I think that's important that he not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. And I think also what's important here is that this is a player that's not only entertaining on the ice, but is going to be entertaining off the ice. And I yeah. think that's what you want to see. This is a guy that's not going to just be quiet and kind of be your prototypical hockey player. He's going to have some fun. And I think that's also very exciting that he's a guy that has personality and wants to show it. And I, I've heard a lot of people out there basically praise him for doing this. And if he is doesn't score, then that's on him and he's gonna get torn up from it. But if if you put this if you make that type of statement, you need to walk the walk and he did that. Yeah, I mean I, I, I don't mean to compare them necessarily as players, although I think there are parallels, but Zegris's kind of persona on and off ice does keeps reminding me of Austin Matthews, just that kind of modern player, right? Who kind of understands both the off ice branding perspective, maybe not branding, but just kind of having a personality. And I think he's being authentic. I don't think he's forcing it, you know, with Mm-mm. his comments or the way he's, he carries himself. He just really seems like an extremely charismatic guy. I mean, you saw his reaction on ice when they won the gold medal and some of the some of the bleeps that had to be put in when he was crying out on the ice after they won. So great tournament for him. I think that the best compliment that I can give him is that he made it harder to evaluate him in this tournament because he was just clearly too good for this level. And maybe too good is a little strong, but he was just so dominant at times against some of the lesser competition. And even against the good teams like Canada, he still found ways to make a difference. So he made it clear that that level of play is just behind him now. And now I think we, I mean, I guess just to kind of bring this full circle on Zegras, we can touch on the other prospects as well. But I think that the Ducks have to give him a shot in the NHL to start the season. I think that you look at the way the roster is constructed. We don't really have any line updates. We, we went in depth on that last week, or at least not any substantial updates, but I think that that spot where right now they have Max Jones next to uh, Ryan Getzlaff, or presumably that could also be Sonny Milano. Why not put Trevor Zegras there to start the season? And worst case scenario, he's not ready, but you kind of reward the performance that he had. Okay. Bob Murray, Bob Murray talked about that. They were evaluating his world junior as if he was in training camp. And I think 
if that was the equivalent of being in camp, then he would have dominated camp. And so you got to give him a shot as a result. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, even if you look at some quotes from Bob Murray, uh, Bob Murray specifically basically said that he sent Trevor Zegras to the tournament with the intent of winning a gold medal to lead this team to a gold medal. That is why he sent Zegras to this tournament. You and I have talked about whether he should have um, gone to the tournament or not or gone to training camp, but Bob Murray thought there was value in it. And when asked even about it um, by, I think, Eric Stevens, Bob Murray even said, like, what it the tournament didn't matter until they played Sweden that all of what had what Zegers had done was great, but that didn't really matter to him until they played the yeah, Sweden game, up, the final beating up Austria. Exactly. All due respect to Marco Rossi. just uh, not that important. Exactly. And so they sent him there to play in these big high, high pressure game, high stakes game and lead the U S to a gold medal in a prominent role. And yep. I mean, what can you say? He fulfilled that and probably in more ways than they could have even imagined. I mean, I don't think the Ducks imagined him tying the record for the most points in yeah. U.S. World Junior history and being one shy of Doug Waite. Like, this was a historic level of tournament that was yeah. put on by Trevor Zegras. And I think if you're the Ducks, man- Ducks management, you have to be able to look at that and say, hey, we sent this kid there with this exact reason, and we need to reward him now. He's yeah. He did everything we asked of him, and so we now need to reward that um, as a result. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is maybe getting a bit too sappy, but and he did it the right way. I mean, we kind of talked about his personality, but you could just tell that he was one of the leaders of this team on the ice. And, you know, when they would show shots on the bench and between games, he was one of the leaders of that team, both with his play and his charisma. And he's just checking all of the boxes. And the, the fact that he basically rewrote the record book on, on his way of doing that yeah, you have to reward that, and I think that what also makes the argument stronger, barring even what he did in the World Juniors, is that the Ducks just don't have many players like him, if any, on their roster. They don't have many creative mm-hmm. offensive nope. players who can turn a game on on its head when when need be or on any given night. And with all due respect to Max Jones or Sonny Milano, we kind of know who they are by now, right? Max Jones, if everything breaks right, could be a third, a good third-line player, maybe even second-line. Sonny Milano, he's had his ups and downs in the NHL, and last season finished on and up, but there were some downs before that. With Trevor Zegers right now, he's all potential, but the potential that we see is extremely high, so you have to give that a chance, I think. You owe it to yourself as a franchise to, to see that through for now. And, hey, if it's not working out, again – there's really no downside. He can go to the AHL. He can be on the taxi squad. But he is at worst, I would say, a year, maybe even two away from being uh, a, a really solid contributor at the NHL level. I mean, it could happen as early as this year. He could well, win the Calder Trophy for all we know. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, you mentioned this, but not only in terms of his skill level, his elite playmaking, his everything like that, there's not a whole lot of that on the Ducks roster from a forward perspective. But let me just ask you this. How many players on the Ducks do you think there legitimately are that when the puck's on their stick, you kind of stop what you're doing and make sure to just watch it and kind of it can get you out of your seat? Uh, I would say there's three. Three guys. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can name them? Uh. Are we including Trevor Zegras in this mix? 
No. So I think there's three guys in the Ducks right now where when they do have the puck, I just so, I what? I watch them intently because they're just fun to watch. Ryan Getzloff. Yeah, he's one. Um, Ricard Raquel. He's another one. Troy Terry. No. So okay. My my third was Cam Fowler. Oh yeah, um, fair enough, fair enough. But you know you can debate the effectiveness of all those three. Um, you know even though they've had really good seasons in the past, they might not be as effective as they once were. With Trevor Zegers right now, again, he's all potential, so we can kind of just, we can project all we want on him, but we don't know for sure. But right now, he is a guy who you just, like you said, you have to watch him play, and you you just, he's must-see TV right now. So, um, and also, I know that Dallas Akins is big on culture. He's big on leadership. And with Trevor Zegers, how can you not, how can you watch that that World Junior performance and not come away thinking this guy is a leader? That this guy can yeah. come into come into the locker room and, and give it a little swagger? Because let's be honest, this Ducks team has been a little beaten down the last let's call it three years, really. Um, you know, two and a half, whatever you want to call it. There, there, it's been a tough go for this group, and there are some guys coming up, some younger guys who obviously have some confidence, like a uh, Troy Terry, Max Contois, whoever, but. Trevor Zegers is all confidence right now. And I think to get just that kind of energy in the locker room and to get a guy who comes in instantly with belief, that can be infectious on a team as well. So, I mean, there, there's just no reason for them not to give him a chance. I think that we've kind of, we might be beating a dead horse here. But, hey, the Ducks haven't had a whole lot to be excited about in recent years, so why not talk about it as much as we can? Yep, and to wrap a bow on this tournament, I mean... The other other the pl- prospects. There were other, other pro- prospects. Other prospects for the U.S. I mean, let's just start. Henry Thrun, I think, had a decent tournament overall. Let, let's start with the Americans that won gold. Played it. Played a decently high role. I mean, for for the U.S. team, he was in the top four. Um, was getting minutes, especially against Canada. Um, I think he showed that he also still has flaws in his game, but I think he he showed that he has the ability to become an NHLer. I think his positioning's really really good. I think the issue that he has is when the puck's on his stick, make decision-making with that. Yeah, that's kind of an issue, isn't it? A little bit, but that's something you can learn to do with that decision-making. I think if your positioning's well, if you position yourself well, if you get yourself into the right spots a lot, with the reps in college, you can learn to be able to make the right play with the puck on your stick. And yeah, I, think I mean, that- what, what I learned from all the U.S.-based prospects for for the Ducks, so Thrun, or Thrun, uh, Lacombe and Colangelo is that they're they're a couple years away. From, yes, agreed. From, from being a couple years away, maybe for some. Uh, yeah, they're. You know, if you gotta, if if you can't, if it's not glaringly obvious in a tournament like this that that you you have some level of skill or that you know you're able to make these reads, then it's doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it just means it's going to take time. Yep. Or maybe maybe it wasn't a good showing for him. Who knows? But I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't come away being incredibly impressed by any of those three. I mean, Colangelo was kind of in a bit role, as was so, Lacombe. So, was so Lacombe. You, you can't really take away a whole lot, but with Run in particular, you know, we had heard a lot about him going into this tournament, about how he was one of the risers in the Ducks prospect class, and coming away from this, I was a little... I, I'm a little less high, but, you know, we'll keep tabs on him. You know, you can't, you don't want to read too much into the World Junior either. It's it's one of those things that can definitely lead you astray if mm-hmm. you put a ton of weight on it. You want to yep. get into Jamie Drysdale? <laughs> yep. So what was your overall thoughts on Jamie Drysdale from this tournament? I came away really impressed with yep. Jamie Drysdale because the thing that 
we had heard so much about with Jamie Drysdale, and that was his calling card going into the draft, the 2020 draft, is that he was this excellent skater who could just, you know, carry the puck up ice and get you out of your seat, but maybe not the most solid in his own zone, maybe not the most complete player. And I actually, I actually thought that we saw the reverse of that in this tournament. Yeah. He, he, we didn't really see any high-flying rushes. We didn't really see him get a whole lot of touches in the offensive zone. But when he was defending, when he was without the puck, or even kind of making those short break, breakout plays, he was really solid, just really quietly effective. He was playing next to Bone Byram, who was, who was really carrying the mail offensively. He was the one that was bringing the puck up ice. But Drysdale thrived in that kind of secondary role. And that's really positive for a player of his ilk because you already know that he possesses the high-end tools. You already know that yeah. he can bring it up ice. So if he has that in his game and that he can play within a system that, you know, the way that Andre Tourigny was coaching that Team Canada squad, they're basically playing an NHL system. And so the fact that he can already kind of thrive in that, granted in a great ecosystem – it's it's a good sign, and I think that with Jamie Drysdale, um, it also maybe kind of reoriented how I view him a little bit as a prospect. You know, of course, there's still so much runway for him, but maybe he just kind of settles in more as just a really excellent two-way defenseman once he yeah. gets to the NHL. Who knows? And, and um, that's yeah, that's kind of sort of what we heard a little bit, that even though he put up these offensive numbers last year, that they kind of tailed off at a certain point, and actually, even though it wasn't talked about, the strength of his game was actually his ability in his own zone, and he... And, and it wasn't at and his offensive ability wasn't as good as everyone was talking about necessarily. Everyone was hyping it up to be, and, and it's kind of that can happen from time to time. People get fall in love with the prospect or uh, defenseman because of being able to do things offensively, but that may not be able to translate. And sometimes actually these guys that are considered offensive are better in their own zone than they're ever given credit for. And the reason why is they're never in their own zone. They they get the puck out so quick. And, I mean, we saw this for the Canadian team. They barely faced any chances because of how good that deep pair of Bone Byram and Jamie Drysdale was. And so um, it, it was really impressive. My question for you on this before we kind of start moving on and starting to transition this to the Ducks, do you think that he's able to springboard off of this tournament and get some NHL games out of it? Well, we'll get into this later. Because there's a lot of other things that have to happen for him to get a chance. But the Ducks' blue line is just uh, so crowded right now. I mean, we saw all the, the, the flurry of moves that occurred this weekend. Um, all the bodies uh, that are on there. And it's hard to say. I think that he could probably, um, he could probably step in right now into a third-pairing role. And in a very limited v- frame probably be okay but i don't know if i would feel 100 percent comfortable putting him into nhl action right now i just don't know if he's quite there yet you know i mean for me and maybe this is an unfair standard but unless the guy's had a few years to develop or maybe a couple years you want to at least see him dominate that that level of play so with trevor's egress we went over it. He dominated it. With, with Jamie Drysdale, it's different for defensemen. He did all the right things, but I kind of want to see him build into that a little bit more. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I think that it'd be totally reasonable for the Ducks to give him a couple games, you know, but without, w- without affecting his contract status. I think that there's nothing wrong with giving him a shot. I mean, it, in theory, he earned it. If they were evaluating him the same way that they were evaluating Zegras, he 
was on a really good team, played a key role, played that role well, got to the gold medal game. And yeah, they lost that game, but it was it was still a competitive game. So I think he earned he earned an opportunity. Whether they give him that or not is another question. Now, what is kind of interesting is that I think, you know, based on what we've seen uh, through different channels that Zegras and Drysdale are out of quarantine now, you know, they, they, they didn't get to have yes. that. They didn't get to have that exemption. Yes. I would imagine that once Jamie Drysdale gets into those scrimmages, he's going to stick out like a sore thumb because how many other defensemen on this team in this system can skate like he does have that ability on both ends of the ice to play how he does. I mean, again, I keep saying all due respect today, but all due respect to Cody Curran, Yanni Hockenpah, Jacob Larson, you know, Jamie Drysdale is not cut from the same cloth as those guys. And so I think if you're Dallas Akins and you're watching Drysdale fly up the ice, you might be tempted to at least give him a look, right? Yeah, I definitely think so. And um, real quick, kind of what you were mentioning, the Ducks were actually trying to get exemptions, essentially, for both Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale, them along with the Kings, because there was essentially within the NHLPA and NHL agreement, if a guy fly, uh, flies on a commercial airline, they have to quarantine for, I believe it's eight days, seven days, something along those lines. Um, but if it's a private plane where they have not had interaction with the public, then it can actually be reduced significantly. And especially the ducks and Kings were hoping because they were getting tested all the time for the world juniors, that they were going to be able to meet an exemption for quarantine. What are your thoughts the state on of that? California? What do you mean? Sorry. Oh, sorry. You can finish up. Sorry, um, didn't mean so to the Ducks and Kings were sent uh, com- or combined and sent a private plane up to Edmonton to put all of their prospects that would be at camp. So for the Ducks, it would be Zegras and Drysdale. For the Kings, it would be Quinton Byfield, Alex Turcott, Arthur Kaliev, and Tobias uh, Bjornfort, or Bjornfoot, however you pronounce that. Um, fly them down and potentially after a one-day quarantine be able to get them on the ice. So for the Ducks, I believe that would have been Friday is what they were hoping. Um, as it turns out, news started to trickle out, I believe, on Thursday that – because of California rules, the um, essentially the, the tests that were being administered in Edmonton were not meeting of the criteria for what they wanted. So who knows? It may have been California requires a PCR test. I believe that's actually what it needs is a PCR test to come in. And they may have been doing an antigen test. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, they had to quarantine because antigens, I think, have a higher chance of false negatives. Or, mm-hmm. um, and, and so overall, what are my thoughts on it? Well, personally, I mean, this is completely maybe, I mean, some people might disagree, but I think if you've been in a bubble and you fly over in a private plane with people that were in the bubble, and I guess the pilots were not in the bubble, but, you know, assuming they're kind of sectioned off in their cockpit with masks, I don't know why you would need this significant quarantine, but hey, that's that's the way of the world. And also, I mean, in fairness... You can't be careful enough in yep. in this environment. That's my view of it. I my, will my, say, my... though, that there are players who I don't know how careful they're being outside of team activities and facilities. Um, and I am a little concerned how that will bubble over. Um, I mean, if, if you follow the Ducks on social media, or not the Ducks, but Ducks players on social media over the offseason... You can probably guess what I'm referring to, but uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, you can never be too careful as well. Yeah, so. I, honestly, my view of it is 
the California rules, and people may disagree with this, I think they're there for a reason. They've been put there by health officials, and I think at a certain point we need to trust that. Um, and so if they, they do have some concern over the test not being accurate enough, and maybe there were some false negatives up in Canada, and maybe these kids have it potentially, I, I think that's a valid enough reason to have them quarantine just for safety reasons. And so um, I, I personally have no issues with forcing them to quarantine a little bit more. It's not going to end. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be the it's end. It's not of the, the end of the world. It, it would have been. It would. It would have been nice to get him on the ice. But if they have to quarantine seven seven days or how six days, however much ended up being, because I think that I think technically their quarantine's over already, so they may be able to get on the ice tomorrow. Um, so if it would have been four or five days or whatever it ended up being, the fact that they were able, the fact that that they did that for people's safety, I'm good with it. They'll be fine as they'll be fine as kids. They'll be able to jump on the ice and be just fine. Yeah. So, so I think that that kind of puts that kind of wraps up our segment here on the World Junior. Unless you had anything else that you wanted to add. Um. No, I think that will finally. And you're probably I mean, really happy about this. Put Alvin a bow Sunspick? on the. Put a bow on the 2021 World Junior Championships. <laughs> Why would I be happy about that? The this is the first bit of ducks act like ducks prospects any sort of ducks hockey adjacent thing that we've had since march yeah why would i be happy that that we're not talking about that anymore you were so happy you were you were so joyful talking about the world juniors these last couple weeks look i don't i don't know what you're (laughs) talking about this feels very accusatory and defamatory but you know it's okay it's okay i'm used to that from you that's what i'm Uh, here for that's what i'm here for should we talk about some of our friends right now Yes. So support for the Crash the Pond podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below the waist grooming. Big news. Manscaped just released released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below the waist grooming needs. Um, so Felix... We, we were both given this cologne by Manscaped, weren't we? We were. And I got to say, you know, I'm not to toot my own horn, but to also toot my own horn, you know, I would consider myself fairly active. And especially nowadays, working from home, sitting at my desk more hours during the day than I'd like to admit. You know, when you're active and then you come back in and have to sit down, you don't want to necessarily be stewing so to speak. And so having Manscaped provide us with the cologne and with all of the other grooming, <laughs> the other grooming items that we've been able to, to try out, it's been really helpful. It's been really nice. And that's just working from home. So you can imagine once the world opens back up again, getting back out there. I mean, this is absolutely something that I would recommend. I mean, smelling good, believe it or not, is actually really important. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And the thing is, this scent, it's a very good scent. It really smells nice. It's the same scent that's in all of Manscaped formulas. And so the cologne is a perfect complement to the collection if you already have some Manscaped grooming uh, essentials. It's light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Um, and it has a little bit of citrus in it. And so it has, yeah. a, and, it, and it has the anchoring yeah. notes of a, vel, a vetiver that's, um, and a woodsy that, masculine that's what I like finish. A, sorry to cut you off, but that's what I like about it is that it's not, you know, some colognes are really overpowering 
it's just like, oh God, this guy clearly has cologne on and this is just too much. But this is actually just, it's kind of nice. You know, when I, when I put it on, I, I feel like I'm not just kind of blasting the world with it. So I, it's, it's got a nice uh, kind of subdued nature to it. Yeah, so the, the Manscaped Cologne is a nice addition to any of the other Manscaped line products, whether that is their Lawnmower 3.0, which we've obviously talked about a bunch on the show, whether that is the Weed Whacker, which uh, is a very nice thing if you have a if you, you need to trim up your nose, you want to be nice and clean for everyone out there. It's a very nice thing. So you can get 20% off, though, and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. So you can get 20% of free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. Like I said, you can look good, feel good, smell good with Manscaped. Well, there you have it. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Do we get into JuiceGate? I think we need to get into JuiceGate because, well, I mean... Well, hold we, on. We saw... is, it, is, there anything, is there anything else to discuss, though? So I'm question. going through... As we mentioned, the best way for anyone to really get news right now about the Ducks, and this is a, a plug for The Athletic because it's a fantastic website that everyone be, should, should be subscribed to, their real-time stuff, Eric Stevens is posting a lot of information there. Yeah. And so that's the best place to go. And so as I'm just kind of scrolling through to make sure we've kind of covered everything. Really, the only big bit of news from the last week in terms of hockey is that the San Diego goals or the AHL season was announced and the goals will officially be playing in Irvine. It's a move that makes complete and total sense. They, they've they mentioned uh, through various different things, I think Eric Stevens actually had an article on it, that basically, um, that, that basically the... The goals are going to try to go back to San Diego if it makes sense. If there's only a game or two left in the season when fans are allowed in the building, then they'll probably just finish the season in Irvine. But if they can get a significant amount of games um, in San Diego with fans there, then they're going to try to do that. But this move makes all the sense. I mean, the Ducks probably didn't want to pay for an empty building and all of the operation staff. This also from a logistics standpoint is easier for the ducks. Uh, they now get to have all of their prospects under one roof. And if you logically think about it, the taxi squad is there for you to have additional players um, available to you, but they can't play in AHL games. The ducks may just not when they're at home and the goals are there, they may just not use the taxi squad at all. Because they're just pl- they're not moving them at all. If both the goals and the ducks are on a homestand, because there yeah. there's no benefit to it. They'll just send them down to the goals and then just use the taxi squad when they need to go out on a road trip to have guys travel with them just in case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean it. It would be great if we could go watch, but uh, <laughs> doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. Okay. I have three items for you before we get into the big shuffle that occurred this weekend. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so four days ago, so what would that have been? Uh, Thursday, Wednesday? Anyway, the week has been a blur. Ducks re-signed Anthony Stolarz to a two-year oh, yeah. contract contract extension worth $1.9 million, so 950 k a year. But the big takeaway from that is that signing Stolarz gives the Ducks a second goalie that meets that minimum exposure requirement for the expansion draft. Yep. And basically, that allows them to protect John Gibson. So yep. that's important. That- that's, that's the biggest news. You basically just had to have a goalie signed uh, for next season and, and uh, to be exposed. Can I can I pick a bone? Is that is that or bone to pick? Can can I pick a bone here? Sure. This is our podcast. We can do whatever can we I, want with can it. Can I can I pick a bone? What does that even mean? Why would it? Why would 
saying I have a bone to pick with you be this know. indication that you're... Now you're making me look up what this saying is about. What bone to pick? I don't know. I have no well, clue. Go, go for it. I, I will chime in with what okay. the, where it so, came from. Every year, Craig Custance, who's one of the better reporters in in the league, who has a great podcast, Full 60, he he his one of his kind of niches in writing, which I love to read. I don't always agree with what it says, but I love to read, is he does polls league-wide from executives, scouts, just anonymous league sources about and they'll tier players or make predictions. And so every year he does goalie tiers. And this anonymous panel of GMs and coaches rated all 31 starters. And so there's, I don't even know how many tiers, but John Gibson, his average tier rating was 2.03. So out of all this panel, most of them had him in the second tier, which is just mind-boggling. But check out this quote from one of the panelists. Oh, yeah, I read this. I don't. So this is what they said, quote, I don't see him working at his craft. I don't see parts of his game that have really gotten better. The panelist said, quote, there are older guys in the league. Look at Jacob Markstrom. His game has changed quite a bit. Even a guy like Freddie Anderson has made adjustments. I feel like Gibson is collecting his paycheck. Would that be different if they had a better team in front of him? I'm hard on him because I feel like he could be so much more. Uh, and then there was a GM that chimed in afterwards that disagreed, which is, you know, finally a, a kind of sane person showed up to the discussion. Uh, and then a goalie coach chimed in and said, I see his numbers every year and they're unbelievable. Like, I feel like that should be the end of the statement, but let's continue. But you look at his style from a goalie coach's point of view. He has a touch of old school to him. It's not pretty. There are certain parts of his game I don't trust, but I give him credit. He's a workhorse who can handle the load. So... Anyway, everyone was pretty glowing on him, but that first statement just it just threw me for oh, a loop. That's Be- bad. That's bad. Well, because it's just so lazy. It's dumb. I, I, I it's mean, dumb. It, it's complete reverse reverse analysis of where he has his first human season in years, and all of a sudden it's a referendum on his work ethic. It's a referendum well, on his style, and I just don't buy any of that. Look, GMs. First off, who knows how well they can actually evaluate goalies to begin with. We've seen how they vote on the Vezina. But also, um, it's just completely ridiculous. They they don't care how you get it done as long as you get it done. And so the first year that he hasn't gotten it done, now all of a sudden his process is the issue. And I just don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Wins, baby. <sighs> Sorry it's, about that. It, 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 no, it's beyond frustrating, <laughs> and, it, and it makes yeah. no sense. I mean, how can you look at a guy that has had – he was the best goalie in the league look, two seasons ago. And, and, and by the, the way, at, I, I don't want to say that John Gibson was good last year. I, I no. don't think he was good. But, but one, one bad season should not be a referendum on a goalie that's in his prime that had two of the best seasons in the history of the game, basically, the prior two seasons to that. And – I went back and I looked and we've talked about, and we actually had Kat Silverman talk about GSAX and how there are issues with it, no doubt. But you go back and look at his uh, two seasons. So what would that have been? 18, 19 and 17, 18. Um, And they were insane how good he Mm -hmm. was over the course of those seasons. And even the season prior to that in 16, 17, he was still top four in the league. Like this is a guy that has been continually throughout his career with the Ducks, been one of the absolute best of the best in the entire NHL. And how, first off, let me just, mention this how in the hell is no disrespect to carry price but how is carry price above him uh i mean 
Besides, besides the fact that Carey Price plays in one of the biggest markets in the NHL and had a good playoff run. Outside of that, how the hell do you have Carey Price above him? It, it's it's yeah. basically recency bias. Well, That's I mean, the only I mean, thing that you can you put could, but, it. But it's not just Price. I mean, Jacob Markstrom. True. <laughs> rated True. above. Uh, Connor but, Hellebuck. I mean, <laughs> Connor Hellebuck might be yeah. the biggest example because he had one outstanding season yep. after being largely disappointing, and all of a sudden he's number two. Count it yeah, two on this list. I, I guess my reason for putting Price in there is I guess at least at least Markstrom had a really good season during the season. With Price's numbers during the season weren't that fantastic, well, but he had a he had a stellar playoffs. Well, the thing with Price is that he's you know he's a veteran and there's a track record there that a lot of people still hold on to. Now I think that the recent track record, even if you extend it beyond last year, isn't great. Yeah, but I I'm kind of gonna defer to. I'm going to defer a bit to the goalie people on this and everyone that talks about price says that his numbers with kind of more refined data is they look a lot better Fair. than the public data. Fair. But still, I mean, if we're sitting here evaluating what we have access to, I agree that price does seem a touch high and I can guarantee you agreeing with you here that, you know, his bubble performance is, it kind of confirmed a lot of people's priors essentially. And that's mm-hmm. why now they feel comfortable putting him in there. Now, if John Gibson gets back into the playoffs this year, which one would assume that he has to play well for that to happen, yep. uh, and the Ducks maybe, let's say, win around, you know, let's get real crazy here, then I, I think he'll climb back up this list because this yeah. is a really fickle list. So, by the way, to, to finish this off, bone to pick. Dates back to the 16th century simply refers to a dog chewing endlessly on and picking clean a large bone. A bone to pick is thus a subject or, or issue that is expected to require considerable discussion or argument. A similar <laughs> phrase, bone of contention, being an issue over which two people argue, also dates back to the 1500 and refers approximately to two dogs fighting over an especially choice bone. I'm so happy you just did that. That just That just really made this podcast for me. You know? That's you what know, we're here for. Because I, I just learned something there. I, I did not know that. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. And uh, and speaking of learning things, was there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about before we get into stuff? Get into Well, uh, the, the thing I didn't want to talk about, and this will okay. lead into the, the main topic, I think, is the waiver waiver situation for the Ducks. So um, Friday, the Ducks waived a bunch of guys, or at least they are sending them down to the taxi squad, AHL, whatever. Um, Stolarz, Walensky, Podorowski, DeLeo, Letary, Carrick, Agazino, Bacchus. So out of those guys, none really too surprising. I mean, Bacchus maybe a little bit, but when you consider his cap hit, they can just get more relief. Although, actually, they can't really get that much more relief because they, they get, after, they get after one, 1.05, it's, it's, it's the same one, for everybody. 1.025. Um, 1.025. But the name that did stick out on there was Christian Juice because Christian Juice, um, of course, you know, played really well for the Ducks at the end of last season. And I went back and checked the numbers and I watched some film and he was good at the end of last season. Like there's just no debating that. And of course, couldn't make the lineup in Washington, um, you know, was back and forth there, but played well. And maybe the Ducks were thinking, hey, we're going to waive him and we're going to send him down to save on our cap for the next few days. And then on game day, we'll bring him back up and get him into the lineup. Cause I can't imagine that the ducks sent him down thinking that with the thought that he was just not good enough or that he just wasn't figuring into their, their plans. I honestly can't picture that simply because look, 
Jacob Larson, I know that Dallas Higgins likes him, but he's one guy. Yanni Hockenpah is one guy. Um, Cody Curran is another guy. So the whole point here is just that I don't think that that move was a hockey move. I don't think that they were sending him down as some kind of referendum on his game. I think that it was designed for, you know, it was designed with the idea that they were going to save some on their cap. And then we got the news that Brendan Gooley was going to be sidelined for up to six weeks sprained knee ligament which is really rough news for him because yeah. this this camp was basically a, a pretty big opportunity for him and so getting that news it made a little more sense right because you need another candidate to set down and then it just it, it's just like this rolling timeline right and then we get news a day after uh that the detroit red wings claimed christian juice so the Ducks got basically caught there. I mean, they I think that they tried to sneak Juice down, and the Detroit Red Wings, who you had mentioned, were first on the waiver list. So he didn't even make it past the first team. Uh, they just snagged him, and now Christian Juice is a Detroit Red Wing in a flash. And I should make mention of this. For anyone out there that might think that the Ducks could have a chance of getting him back if the Red Wings put him on waivers because the Ducks would have first chance to get him back, if that, or I guess he would go through the rest of the waivers and then the Ducks would have a chance to get him back on top of that. Or no, there, there's something like that where the Ducks can bring him back. Regardless, the Red Wings lineup or defense is so bad that I don't really see any way that they would ever waive him. Mm-hmm. And there's not it's not like they're in a cap bind or anything like that where they need to do what the Ducks are doing right now. And so he's not coming back to the Ducks. He is a... Red Wing and will stay a Red Wing basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I want to mention here, and this is kind of where I was getting at with, uh, it's always good to learn things. Um, learn something new this week, which is how the cap, how LTIR works um, in the off season. I thought it was much simpler uh, with, or very similar to the season. Turns out, by the way, cap friendly, awesome, awesome people over there have helped me out a bunch with kind of learn, working through this, making sure I understand it correctly. Really helpful. Um, but basically the way that the off season formula works is you need to be tight to the cap hit, basically to what the cap ceiling would be for full LTIR. So the ducks, uh, would need to be at 81 and a half million plus Kessler's contract in order to get full relief for his deal. So they would need to be his deals like what? 6.875. So they would need to be at, let me just do the quick math. They would need to be at 88.375 projected cap hit. Um, at the point in time that they put Kessler on LTIR to get full relief. And that just, with the Ducks lineup with their roster, with a 23-man roster, the Ducks didn't really have the salary to, to get there, basically. So it didn't make sense for them to do that. So what the Ducks are doing by, by doing all of these moves is what they're trying to do is, with the Kessler contract on the books, they need to get underneath $81.5 million at the salary cap in order to put Kessler on contract because or on LTIR because you have to become cap compliant by the start of the season. Um, and so if Kessler's not on LTIR in training camp because of the issues that I was saying with them need to have a bunch of salary in order to get full relief, they need to with Kessler get underneath 81 and a half and they can do that with a 20 man roster and then basically put Kessler on LTIR, then they get the salary cap relief. So if the Ducks were to get down to 81.5 exactly, they could then spend 6.875 over 81.5. If they got down to 81, they could spend 6.875 above 81 million. So the closer you get to that 81.5 gives you more relief above 81.5 basically. 
And so the Ducks were trying, making all these moves basically to get under the salary cap to then put Kessler on LTIR and then they would activate guys and bring them back onto the roster and they would be act, they would be have a cap above the 81 and a half but still be fine due to LTIR. This is all kind of very minute a lot of details, but it's important because it's explaining why they were making these moves, why these guys were being put on waivers, why was Backus put on waiver and it's because the 1.025 mil that they were saving was important. The thing that I'm slightly confused on and actually up on the screen and it's been on the screen for a little bit is I did a little thing with cap friendly where they have their armchair GM tool worked around with it a little bit um, as of right now what's on your screen is what I can best guess as what the opening day roster so on Wednesday will be when the Ducks place Ryan Kessler on LTIR and this is a mixture of me looking at the roster me eliminating guys that are waiver exempt a guy like Cody Coran for instance and basically leaving guys that are waiver eligible in here and so for instance Jacob Larson waiver eligible this is the weird one to me Yanni Hockenpah waiver eligible um and and, and so um to me they those guys are there because they haven't been put on waivers yet and the confusing thing to me this is the confusing thing overall is that the Ducks are at 81.2 million so they have 295 million cap space if they were to have put Yanni Hockenpah on waivers, and as you can see, I'm pulling Hockenpah out, putting Christian Juice, who I, in this thing, traded back to the Ducks, uh, putting Christian Juice back in there, they would have still been cap compliant and been actually tighter to the cap. So I'm not quite sure what the logic here was unless they thought that maybe Yanni Hockenpah was more likely to get claimed, but <laughs> that just makes no... like the, From a logic perspective, Ooh, if, if I were to throw out these three names, which one would you say is most likely to be claimed between Christian Juice, Jacob Larson, Yanni Hockenpah? I mean, I would say the most likely out of the three? Yes. Maybe Larson. Maybe Larson. Just because you think of the, I. Maybe because of the first rounder shine, but it would be either between Larson or, or Juice. Um, I don't see Hockenpah. I know that right hand shot defensemen are this kind of rare commodity, but. I don't see teams jumping out. Maybe they had some, okay, maybe like I'm really, tr I'm really like, we're going to get into your reaction on this soon, but maybe they had some inside info about a team that really liked Hawk and Paw and they didn't on juice. And they thought, oh, if we know we're going to lose Hawk and Paw, if we put them out there, we don't have that many right shot defensemen. So let's just take our chances on juice because he's not a former first rounder. I mean, I'm really trying to come up with explanations for why they went this route yeah the so i mean maybe here's the only thing i can come up with maybe my maybe the numbers on cap friendly are slightly off well that's and the we, other thing that i brought up to you before this show is that the the cap friendly numbers are some like are estimates you know the con the contracts are not necessarily estimates but the way it all shakes out um their numbers can be and probably sometimes often are different than actual teams cap sheets so and so when and when your difference when your margin is so slim like you were describing just now then yeah i mean it's totally possible but i mean just to kind of expand this out a little bit what do you make of that situation which situation well so i know that you said you don't understand why or why juice but what's kind of i guess your takeaway from this so my takeaway is i mean overall if i'm gonna logic this out it makes no sense to me why you put juice on waivers instead of hawk and Paw. so i'm gonna give them maybe to my detriment the benefit of the doubt here and say 
if they would have waived Hawkenpaw that they may not have been cap compliant for whatever reason. So they had to waive juice as a result of that. Um, my response to that though, is there still were ways to get around this. Even if you were that tight where it wasn't going to work, you could, for instance, let's say, uh, you could send down Max Jones and call up, um, you could call up Max Comtois. Max Comtois makes 60K less than him. You could send down or throw by send down. Keep in mind, when I say this, this is all paper transaction. These guys on opening night, so Wednesday night, when the Ducks have to get cap compliant, these guys would not be on the Ducks roster. And then by Thursday, they get called up so that they are on the roster. But you could send down Sam Steele, call up Chase DeLeo instead. 100K yeah. different, like 100. Like there, there are maneuverings that you can do to make these things work if it was that well, tight with Christian Juice on the roster instead of Yanni Hakaba. Or here's another simple thing. We've talked about it. Jacob Larson, put him on waivers. I think Jacob Larson brings less to the roster than uh, than Christian Juice. Maybe the Ducks were of the mindset of Jacob. They've put more development time into Larson. They, they've put more time into him. They want to see him play out. So if they're going to let one guy or take the risk of losing a guy, they would rather lose the guy that they just got than the guy they've put a bunch of development time into. Mm-hmm. And so may, maybe that's the logic there. But when I'm looking at this as a whole, there are ways around this that you could have looked at. And I think the Ducks tried to get cute here. They tried to pull pull off a situation where it's early on in training camp where a lot of teams are going to be putting guys on waivers. And here's the thing to remember with waivers. And I think that this is a key thing to remember here is that when you claim a guy, you cannot send them down. You have to keep them on your active roster. So a lot of times at this point in time in training camp, teams are figuring out their their roster still. They're trying to figure out where their lineups are at. They're having internal competitions for a lot of positions. They've made all their offseason move, all this different type of stuff. So a lot of teams throw guys on waivers, and a lot of times you can try to sneak well, a guy through D- in the Daniel beginning. Daniel Sprung, last season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're able to sneak guys through waivers in the beginning of the season as a result because teams aren't set on, or are trying to figure out their lineups, and they like their guys. The issue with this is I think Christian Juice is a little bit too high profile, and there are teams in this league that need help on defense. Specifically, you look at Detroit. There are teams that would want a guy that can play on the power play. I mean, that that's a key thing. He's a He can play on the power play. And I think overall it's just a sense of frustration because it's it's just another issue. I, I, I had some conversations with people on Twitter yesterday. And, <laughs> Did you? And I think... And I think overall, the what I was getting back from some people was, why are you complaining about this? The Ducks made two steps forward. They're overall better now because of um, because they brought in Shattenkirk and um, a couple. Of, they they're better off now than they were. So even though they lost Juice, they're still better now than they were last season. Well, yes, that is true, and, and that hockey doesn't occur in a vacuum. I think you have to analyze and isolate moves based on what they are. And losing a Christian juice for absolutely nothing is a bad idea and a bad thing to do. Clearly, a team coveted him because he didn't make it through one team. Not one team passed on him. The Red Wings were the first team well, okay. to have the ability to claim him. But but just, I mean, that's also a product of the order. Well, to, true, to, to but fair. that... But but still, no. The first team that had the ability yes. to claim him claimed that him. is true. So he had he had some value. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was highly coveted. Okay, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> if but I'm gonna if had... I'm gonna really just no, that's know. fair. That, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. completely fair. Yeah. But my point in all of this is, I would say that 
Christian Juice had some trade value. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway from this, because I'm not as, I haven't done as much research on the cap as you have, but my takeaway is that if there's even any shred of evidence that this was avoidable, I think that then you can criticize it. Because Christian Juice, it's not the end of the world to lose Christian Juice. Christian Juice is not, a, he's not a world beater, but he does something, and I would actually say a couple of things, well, that very few on the Ducks' third pairing in that third pairing morass do well. He moves the puck well. And, you know, some of the tracking data that we have on him isn't that great, but I'm going to go more with the fact that the sample there isn't that high. Um, watching him play and his on-ice results, they were all fantastic last year. And even production-wise, he put up some points. And they just look at the group that they have on the third pairing. Jacob Larson, Yanni Hockenpah, Cody Curran, and before the injury, Brendan Gooley. You just don't have many guys who can do what he does. And so to kind of risk losing him in that scenario uh, for nothing, it's when ask- when you did have an alternative, that's that's tough. Now, I'm not going to completely... I'm not going to completely throw the Ducks under the bus for this because maybe there was a reason for this that we're not aware of. But on the outside looking in, it's it's not a great look. And if there was at all any hockey consideration in this, such as, well, if we do lose him, we'll be okay, that kind of stings a little bit because, uh, you know, you, can, you can't always, and we'll get into this very shortly, but you can't always assume that you can just bring in a replacement. And so just saying we'll be okay because we have other guys, um, I don't know if that necessarily flies when you look at who those other guys are. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, because this is one thing that popped in my head. Do you think the Ducks sh- kind of shotgun this? They, they shot from the hip on this because, and I bring this up, I don't, th- there seems to be alternatives. Mm-hmm. I think that they kind of had their hands tied a little bit by the Brendan Gooley injury. Yes. I think that we can give them that. We we can give them that. They had their basically when a guy gets injured, he still has to remain on the roster and that cap hit has to stay. So even though Brendan Gooley is going to be on IR, but the thing his 800k cap hit still going to be there for They get more cap relief from Juice than Gooley. So even if Gooley had been available, um I don't know Gooley 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 and Hockenpah though. Yeah, but then Gooley, you're sending Gooley, down, but then you're sending down two guys as opposed to one. But it's the same. It's the same as right now because Gooley is on IR, so your roster size remains the same. Okay, but let's okay. So just walk me through the scenario. So let's say Gooley was healthy. How would that Gooley, possibly change? What would so have if happened? Gooley, if Gooley was healthy and they wanted to put Gooley on waivers, which granted they may not have, but they could have put Gooley on waivers, or they could have sent. Here's the other thing. There's nothing that says that you have to have 12 forwards and six defensemen. You can have seven defensemen and 13 forwards Mm -hmm. or seven defensemen and 11 forwards or whatever it is. And the Ducks could have, let me think this through right now. They're there. They could have brought on Brendan Gooley. So yeah, they could have put Hawk and Paul on waiver, sent down Max Jones been at 20 a 20 man roster which is the minimum roster size and been cap compliant mm-hmm. and basically what the issue here is that they have to have a 20 win 21 man roster because of brendan Gooley getting hurt mm-hmm. and be cap compliant with that if they 
if Brandon Gooley was not hurt, they could have gone down even further with a 20-man roster, done a little bit more finagling with their roster, and kept a guy like a, a Christian Juice that has more salary. So my question here, though, is did the Ducks, because of Brendan Gooley, kind of look and find the simplest answer and just do it quick because they had to? And they didn't necessarily evaluate every option possible and saw Christian Juice as being the quickest I mean, we, one to put on. We don't on. know the full timeline, but maybe no, we don't. Maybe under the deadline, because there was a deadline to submit mm-hmm. to waivers, maybe that's when they found out about the Gooley injury and that's when they had to pull. I mean, it's it's possible. Anyway, we're probably a little too far into the weeds here. We are, but it's an unfortunate it, outcome. I'll just I'll just kind of wrap it up and just say that it's an unfortunate outcome. Um, there's there's a possibility that they were forced into this, or maybe not necessarily forced, but kind of put into an unsavory situation, and this is what came of it. And look, maybe they could have snuck them by, but Detroit happened to be that first one, and uh, they wasted no time. So I think it sucks. Me- for, it sucks for the Ducks because Juice did provide them with an element, but it's hard for me to kind of go all the way in on that point because of the news that we got today. Well, let me let me just bring this up real quick. And granted, the news from today helps out a little bit, but I think me, it helps out a lot. But it, it helps out a lot. But I, I think the issue with this move overall from me is not necessarily yes, it sucks they lost him. Yes, he was a good player, and it, they're worse without him. But bringing what we're going to talk about will help negate that that negative. But to me, it's always two steps forward, one step back, or even one step forward, two steps back with Bob Murray. And it feels like this Christian Juice move is similar to that with his poor asset management at times with losing guys for nothing. I mean, now, granted, Stefan Nason wasn't this be-all, end-all player, but at that point, in, no, no, but hear me oh, out here, hear me boy. out here, hear, hear me out here, Hang hear me out here. Hang this one up with the Walensky-Curran pairing argument. Hear, hear me up here, hear me out, hear, hear me out here. Okay. If you were going to lose him, you still could have traded him for something. Okay, and so I think the issue is asset management and losing guys for nothing. If you were if you were willing to lose a guy and he really didn't have a spot on your roster, which it doesn't seem like this is the case, you should be looking to move him. But it seems like they valued him, and so it's just losing guys for nothing is just something that's happened a bunch for the Ducks, and I think that's my frustration. It's not necessarily that these guys are impactful; they're they're making a, a big thing on the Ducks. But I mean, Fat Geralt in our Twitch chat says a seventh round pick is greater than free. Well, also, I mean, like people are saying, you know, they're kind of writing off juice is not that big of a deal, but your third pairing still matters. Like, even though Larson Holzer sunk the Ducks a bit last year. Yeah, exactly. Even though the Ducks got Kevin Shattenkirk and yeah, that's definitely a big upgrade over what they've had. Um, you still want a good third pairing to spell the, that top four and make sure that you're not over relying on them. So you can't just completely say that you don't need to be concerned about who's playing on your third pairing um those are those are minutes i mean third pairing minutes are an opportunity for your team to take advantage of and and try to win those minutes so let's talk about what happened today though because i think that's much better news that changes a lot of this and i'm glad that we're ending on this note because this is a positive note i would say ben hutton so the ducks offered ben hutton they signed him to a uh, pto professional tryout and assuming, you know, everything you talked about with the cap and the fact that they'll kick in um, Ryan Kessler's LTIR once the season starts, we could probably assume that the Ducks are going to sign Ben Hutton 
once the season yeah, actually and begins. Eric Stevens even in real time put out said told that Ben Hudden's PTO with the Ducks should lead to a contract with the club. Yeah. So, but let's let's talk a little bit a little bit about Ben Hutton because maybe some people aren't as familiar with him. So he played for the Kings last season. Before that, was on the Vancouver Canucks. And if you just kind of look at his overall game, he's been a bit up and down in the league. So he was, you know, a couple of years ago or three years ago, he was okay on the Canucks, maybe a little below average, and then had a really rough season in eighteen nineteen. So he fits right in with the Ducks there for Vancouver. And then last season, um, he was really good for the LA Kings. And, um, you know, even though the Kings as a whole had good kind of underlying numbers, uh, he was still able to individually, if you kind of separate that out, he was still good on his own, a a really good penalty killer, um, a guy who can, you know, drive offense a little bit. And one thing that was interesting that was brought up on Twitter to me was, um, his tracking data. So he's really good at denying entries. He's really good at forcing oncoming forwards to dump the puck in as opposed to carrying it with control. And we know that if you're not carrying it as much, as much, you're probably going to generate less chances, which means you're going to generate less goals. Anyway, it's important uh, to force dump ins and he does that well. And, you know, talking a little bit, going a little back and forth with Corey Schneider, who does that tracking data, just kind of sums it up pretty well. Just a Kind of a good fill-in defenseman, you know, a guy that just kind of does what you want, and he's not gonna he's not gonna sink you completely. Can even play on your second pairing, um, and so I think that overall, even though Ben Hunton isn't necessarily the sexiest addition by any means, he's, he's a good player. He's a he's a fine player for that third pairing role. I mean, you could even possibly have him on your second pairing. It wouldn't be optimal, but he has played those kind of minutes before. And so all of this to say that there's definitely an argument to be made that Ben Hutton is better than Christian Juice and that through all this kind of whirlwind of moves, the Ducks are actually maybe better for it. I would agree with that. <laughs> I, I actually compl- – and, and now up on the screen, by the way, is last season. Now, granted, Christian Juice didn't play that much, but is the RAPM charts for evolving hockey for last season. And granted, Ben Hutton was on an L.A. team that really drove play in a very, very, very positive fashion. You can see that he actually drove shot attempts four and expected goals for in a very high way uh, for the LA Kings. And if you were going to multi-season, it kind of changes it a little bit. He's not as good defensively per these uh, numbers. But like you said, he does do a good job of defending his own line. And he's good at kind of pushing play towards and the he other. Also, uh, he also doesn't take a ton of penalties, which is something yeah. that the Ducks blue line has been terrible at well, the last couple of years. Let me throw this out. Let me throw this out there. Because we talked at the beginning of the show about Jamie Drysdale and whether he has a place on this team. I would feel a lot better if Jamie Drysdale was paired with Ben Hutton <laughs> than Ben Hutton or than paired with Jacob Larson. And I think yeah. that Ben Hutton would actually give him a good person to play with if they are looking to play Jamie Drysdale on this team. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, because Ben Hutton is kind of more of a defensive defenseman and you know, his defensive results haven't always been great, but when you compare that with a Jamie Drysdale who we would assume his strength is more carrying the puck. That could that seems to be a good tandem. But so I don't think that that's the likeliest scenario. I put this no. out there. I think that the likeliest scenario right now is that the third pairing will be Larson and Hutton on opening night. I think that I think Hutton has some experience playing on his off wing. And regardless, that's what Juice was doing beforehand. And I think that Hutton does come in as a Juice replacement. Maybe the Ducks had this view of, okay, if we lose Juice 
we know that Hutton is out there and that maybe there was some kind of maybe previous conversation. I mean, this is giving them a ton of credit, but yeah. maybe that's what happened. And so and so Hutton comes in and could be mm-hmm. could be an upgrade. And so now you plug in Hutton into that third pairing and maybe you have let's say Hutton Hawk and Paw or at some point, you know, you're going to have to deal with Hutton Larson. All of a sudden, I think that the Ducks' blue line is looking pretty solid. I mean, I still don't love having Larson out there. I still don't necessarily love Hawkenpah. I know he was okay at the end, but bring in Hutton. You're bringing in an NHL-caliber defenseman who doesn't have too many warts in his game besides the fact that his performances have been a bit up and down the last three years. Because as much as we liked what we saw in Juice last year, it was a really small sample, and he couldn't stay in the Mm -hmm. lineup in Washington before that. So I think this is a good outcome for the Ducks. I think the Ducks' blue line is about as solid as it can get for the time being. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that this overall makes up for the loss of juice. It doesn't excuse it, makes up for it, though. It does, um, yeah. And, and and we'll probably, and like I said, he will probably sign his deal either on Wednesday or on Thursday. It's my best guess is probably, I mean, actually, I'm curious where Evolving Wild has him, and I'll, I'll go and look that up right now. But I would bet that he is probably going to end up in the $1.5 million range, probably something around there. Um, but I'm curious where Evolving Hockey, because they do contract projections, where they end up having him at. And they have him at, huh, Wow, they have him very high. Um, guess what they have him as predicted term and predicted cap hit. I don't know, but I'll say this ca- is insane. I'll say, I'll say cap hit three point seven five. Four point two in term of five years. Oh, it was close. Okay, well he's twenty seven. So yeah, true. So I mean, this is the time for him to get that contract. But we're not in a normal. Ecosystem. No, I, I know. I was just I was just kind of shocked. So I would expect that that. Contract come in probably one year, one and a half to two mil, something in that range. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't know. I the way that I see it now, um, just to kind of wrap up this whole conversation, definitely a weird situation, a, a weird path to getting to this point. But the Ducks come out looking better, and I think that even though I still am not high on their forward group, I still don't think that their forward group is necessarily that threatening. Hey, if Trevor Zegers comes in. And is and is solid, and all of a sudden that blue line looks a lot better. And if John Gibson is anywhere close to what he's been prior to last season, I think the Ducks at least have a fighting chance to get into the playoffs. Now, I don't think you can write them off from getting into the playoffs. And it's funny how you know for all the people that say that the the third pairing minutes don't matter, I this is why it matters because when you can layer on these mar- these moves on the margins onto the foundation you've established, that makes the foundation matter even more. So now you're taking some of the workload off of John Gibson. You can allow him to be better. You're taking some of the workload off of your top four. So all of a sudden you're allowing them to potentially shine more. And that just creates this, this ripple effect. And I do think that um, the Ducks now at least have an argument to be made to get into the playoffs. I still don't think that they're your traditional playoff caliber team. They do have still a lot of weaknesses, but given the kind of lack of strength in their division in the range that they're in, they have a shot now. They have a chance to get in. They've done enough to get themselves in. Now, does that mean that it will happen or that you should bet on it? Maybe, maybe not, but 
it'll at least be interesting to get you can't just write off these games anymore. Are, yeah, are you are, are so, you are you that high on this team as I am? No, I, I, I I'm not this, saying I'm I, high. By the way, I'm just saying I think this. Yeah, I, I think they can potentially get to the fourth spot in the division. I think the most likely scenario is they end up in the sixth or fifth spot. Yeah, um, I think if we're doing a quick little season preview, I think that this team has the ability. They have one of the best goalies in the world, and that's the great equalizer here. And so I think that with that being said, they have the ability to get up into the fourth spot in the division if all things go right. Now, granted, all things have to go right for them to get there. I think most likely not everything goes exactly to plan and they end up in the fifth or sixth spot as a result. I just want to put something out there before I think. Are we doing questions next? Uh, No, we have. Oh. We actually have a couple more things to do, Felix. Oh, oh, okay. we, we have games to preview. Oh, oh, okay. Well, this wasn't previously discussed, but uh, yeah, let's preview games. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, but you know, we'll just keep moving on. So this week is the start of the season, people. Yeah, a little louder the for s- the people in the back. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, we're in, we're an hour thirteen in. People may maybe dozing off. You know, I sometimes will listen to podcasts when I fall asleep. You, so you have admitted Im- to me that you don't finish podcasts, which I find bizarre, but. It, it's now i think the bigger issue for me is not having a commute anymore with working yeah well okay let's get into it though let's uh so let's cut to the, the chase the ducks the ducks season opens at the vegas golden knights on thursday at 7 p.m and they also play in vegas again next saturday at 7 p.m and so those are going to be the two games that will happen prior to next week's episode also somewhat strange I didn't really make much of it, to be honest, but the Ducks haven't announced a broadcast schedule, and I'm going through almost basically every other team has a broadcast schedule. I'm looking at networks and every team. Somewhat strange. I, I wouldn't buy too much into that, people. This is, it's probably going to get announced. It, but it, it will. I mean, it has to, right? It has to. Yes. But if you want to hedge your bets a little bit, get NHL TV and uh, a VPN. <laughs> and, yeah and you can neither, watch neither the, the kings nor neither the kings nor the ducks yeah it, it must be some kind of regional thing i am it must be a fox sports thing I, with them I, figuring out with the clippers yeah and i mean you also have to factor in that the angel season will be starting during the season so i'm i am to... i am 100 percent sure that they will get it done i mean the ducks also don't have a helmet sponsor yet so there's there's just a lot kind of that's that's in the chamber there but i I am assuming that this week we will get a lot of clarity on that, but let's just talk about those games a little bit. So, so they will be playing Vegas in their fir- first yeah, two games, which uh, one of the is quite top... quite the uh, quite the way to start things off. Yeah. So now up on the screen, folks, is um, we've talked about Jay Fresh Hockey before. His WAR roster builder for Vegas, they are in an 82 game season projected to have 106 points because of this roster. Mm-hmm. And this is their most update roster. So this is a very good Vegas team. It's a stack team at forwards. They may not have the sexiest names, but they are very, very good with their top two lines. Although they did lose Paul Stasny Chandler Stevenson is now stepping in, uh, into that role. Um, Cody glass is going to be relied upon a bit more. So maybe with their bottom yeah, two lines, you can maybe find something. Their but... center depth is not the most, not the most threatening, but they're yes. they're probably a bit underrated. Yes, but the biggest thing for the defense now for them is they now have Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore as their two right-hand shot defensemen. And 
So they're going to roll those two guys out there for a lot of the game. The Ducks are really going to have to get advantageous when that third pairing of Nicholas Hague and Zach Whitehat, Whitecloud are on the ice. Yeah, but the and thing is, Hague and Whitecloud are no slouches either. They aren't. So. They aren't. They're, they're solid. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I like Hague. I mean, he's a good prospect, and you would imagine he'll be better this year. I mean, just as a big picture thing, I'm not that high on the Golden Knights as cup favorites. I know a lot of people are talking about that, them that way just because they did have to lose Nate Schmidt in all of this to get Alex Petrangelo. And so that doesn't make him as much of an upgrade as maybe he would have been had they just been stacking him onto what they already had. But this is still a very good team, and this is going to be a really tough test for the Ducks to start the season. And so it's kind of rough, I think, if you're the Ducks just organization you would probably prefer to kind of work your way in build some confidence but by the same token this is an opportunity this is an opportunity for them to show that the work they've been putting in during camp and in the off season has led them to being a team that can compete right away because let's face it there isn't really going to be much of a feeling out period uh, this season no this is a sprint there's no time for i mean that. this this is pete DeBoer's first season at the start or first start of a season with the vegas golden knights yeah and Pete DeBoer seasons can be hit or miss. Yeah. Most of the time, the first couple seasons are really good, so they probably are still going to be good. But he tends to wear out his welcome after a certain point in time. So maybe that, that comes into play. Maybe that comes into effect. And if the Ducks can kind of catch them by surprise, maybe get a couple goals early in the first game, then maybe they can walk away with a split here. Yeah. I mean, I I can't really speculate on how games will go yet because we haven't seen anyone play. No, agreed. But, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, if you look at the last couple of years, the Ducks really struggle against Vegas, especially when they play in Vegas. Now, maybe the Vegas flu will be less in effect this year, although <laughs> when you see the clips coming out of casinos in Vegas, it's it's hard to say. Um, I think they can win one of these two games. I would kind of expect that there there's probably going to be a game or a period or two periods where the Golden Knights are probably going to look a lot better than the Ducks, but I think the Ducks have the ability to at least scrap one out, scrap out a tough win. Um, I think that if they if they come out of this with a split in the first week, they will probably take it, even though yeah. publicly they probably won't say, you know, hey, we, we're shooting for well, the, the split here. Yeah, and I think a split on the road would be good. Yeah. Um. So, and I mean, that guy Bobsky brings up a good point on our Twitch chat. That a big thing that's pushed Vegas is their crowd. And there's going to be no fans in the building for them. So maybe that yeah. plays a part a little bit. I mean, what pushes them is that they're really good. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> they have really yes. good players. So, yeah. To everyone in the Twitch chat, we'll get to your questions in a quick second. But let's get to these emails that we've got also. So we've mentioned this a little bit. But if you have thoughts, more in-depth things you want to send to us, uh, if we have time. And this one's going to be a little bit of a long episode. But, you know, season preview type episode. Yeah. So we got let's get to this email from Ken Knight. He basically wants us to to break down his top power play unit because of, as he mentioned, Ducks power play really struggles, has struggled of late. So his ideal power play would be Kevin Shattenkirk as the quarterback, Troy Terry for zone entries and playmaking, Trevor Zegras for zone entries, playmaking and shooter, Ricard Raquel as the shooter, and Adam Henrique as the net front presence. Huh. Present. Not presence. Huh. Interesting. What are, what's your thought? Okay, let me that. let me just go over that again. So Shattenkirk, Terry, Zegris, and Henrik, and there's a fifth that I'm missing. And Raquel. Raquel. Yeah, I don't I don't hate that at all. I mean, you have a lot of playmaking on the on the wings there with Zegris and Terry. 
I think that Henrique does have a nice finishing touch around the net. And, you know, Ricard Raquel is a little bit of both. I think that he's kind of, I don't want to say proven in the last couple of years that he's not really the kind of one-timer type that we thought he was. Um, but he does have that skill to at least keep the keep the puck moving and, and, and keep the, the possession going. So, yeah, I think that that would be an interesting unit. I don't think that they're going to use that because they don't even have Terry on any unit right now. But um, I guess my only quibble with that unit is that maybe there's not enough shooting threat. You know, it's a lot of guys who love to dish it. And we don't know what kind of shooter Zegers will be in the NHL. And although I do like Terry's shot, I don't necessarily know if he's a guy that penalty kills are going to be keying in on quite yet um, or really fearing. But it's still a unit that I would be curious to see for sure. Yep. Agreed with that. I think it's interesting. I think it, it provides a different look than we've seen. Well, it's, I think it's, that's it's a lot of like skill. About it. It's a lot of skill yes. out there, which I'm always a fan of. Yes. Um, and then we got this one from Roy Cervantes. He basically is asking about the Ducks broadcast as a whole. And if we kind of think that because this season, he's a little bit fed up with different things from it. But do you think we could see a step up from the broadcast for this upcoming season? Have the broadcaster step up because... I mean, there's no fans in the building. They're they're going to be the only people that can can convey the emotion and yeah, information to I us. I could see them doing that. Yeah, that's totally believable. Yeah, and I think my biggest thing doesn't necessarily have to do with the broadcasters per se, like Hall or Allers and Hayward. My biggest thing is what do the broadcasts do to bring you a different look? There's no fans in the building. So what can you do for different angles? What can you now do with the broadcast that is different that you aren't able to do with fans in the building? What angles can you hit now to give you a different perspective? Can they put a camera in the corner to show breakouts better than they have in the past? Yeah, I don't know. Based, like That's what I want to see from this. I don't know because I've been watching NBA since they've started back up and they have, I mean, they play in the same arenas and it's been pretty much the same as it's been in the years past. So. If the NBA is not doing it, I don't know if the NHL will do it, but who knows? Let's uh, let's try to be optimistic True. here. True. All right. So, anything else you want to touch on before we start getting into the the Twitch chat? Um, I did just want to say, you know, I'm getting a lot of people that are coming at me saying <laughs> that I'm not that how how dare you know? Because I'm posting. <laughs> I'm glad you're finding this entertaining. Um, you know, I'm putting out my predicted lines or pairings with all the, the news on the, on the blue line. And people are really coming at me saying, you know, you're overlooking Cody Curran. Uh, how dare you, you know, I had someone tell me he's got a booming shot, which I just love, by the way, uh, he's got a booming shot. You know, he's so good on the power play. Uh, yeah, this is a, this is a real tweet that I got today. No way he rides the taxi. His booming accurate shot on the PP is really needed which like great yeah he's done that in sweden that's awesome uh, i had one person specifically reply to four different tweets at the same time all advocating for curran so i'm very happy for cody curran that there's all this love for him out there he's certainly earned it with his uh accomplishments in the swedish hockey league but uh notice the key word there a league that's not in that's not the nhl and so yeah, I'm not really completely factoring him in because he's 30 and has never played in the NHL before. And what we have heard on him from Dallas Akins hasn't been this like massive endorsement. Nothing negative, but yeah. just nothing that would lead you to, to think, it, oh, this guy is a lock for the opening night lineup. So, look, I'm not actively trying to disrespect or discredit 
Cody Curran, but I'm just I think that it's it's kind of reasonable to to not really just write his name with with permanent ink into the lineup here. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I mean Dallas Aikens basically said he he seems like he's a point could be a point getter in the Swedish league or the American league. Yeah, and, and I don't I, mean, I don't know if that, the thing. I don't know he, if that's code he's, for he's not a great skater, but uh, well, here's yeah. the thing: he's never even done it in the American league, and so it wouldn't. I I you and I were kind of on this boat of. They didn't sign him for nothing, so you'd expect him to make the roster, but kind of after hearing those quotes and thinking this through and the fact that he's never really made a name for himself in the AHL that you got to think that they would make him or make him play in the AHL prior to getting an NHL spot. Show us what we can you can do here on a smaller ice surface where you haven't ever been able to show success. So maybe that's where they end up. These comments in our Twitch chat are just... Oh, our Twitch chat's great. And huge shout-out, by the way. I want to mention this before we even start getting into the Twitch chat, but we've had a a pretty high amount of people in here with us, more than usual, about double the amount that we usually get for these shows. So thank you, everyone. It's been engaging. It's been fun. You've been making me laugh. Thank you to the offshore bot company that we've hired early coming through. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah yep 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 exactly using that manscaped uh that manscaped, no but uh, i mean some of these it. comments ken pafu saying uh did you guys see the drawing of curran with the sword on his back with felix's name <laughs> on the sword yeah yeah that's that's really what i'm doing here that guy bobski felix getting trolled by curran's agent um there was another one hockey boys curran burner accounts i'm not putting any of these things past <laughs> what's going on because <laughs> Who else is going to bat for Cody Curran to this degree? It just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't add up anyway. And again, I don't hate the player. I don't think he's bad, but I am just so baffled well, by the we amount. We don't know any we don't know anything about him. I'm just yet. so baffled I mean, by the amount of people who are already willing to say that this guy no. should be just a go-to. And I guess that speaks more maybe to just how bad the Ducks third pairing has been in recent years that the first guy who has any semblance of competence offensively yeah. is, is sought after, but anywho, there, there's, I mean, there's been no, uh, there's been no video of any training camp. We don't even the, know how the, he looks the, in camp. Yeah. No, I don't even know what he looks like, to be honest. I know what he looks like. Cause I've looked at his elite prospects page, well, but yeah. sorry, I don't know what he looks like in duck gear. I probably should say. Yeah. I, it's just, it's just unbelievable. But it's funny. Like I'm actually inter- like I'm not mad. It, I I find this amusing. It's just like I don't even respond to it. I'm just like, well, you know, hope hope it works out for him. I mean, that's the difference between us. I would be replying. We just need to make a hashtag like current goat or something. Just uh, you, you, you have to refer to him as the goat from now on. Anyway. All right. So let let's let's get to this. So anyone in the Twitch chat, start throwing your questions in. Throw big question or throw question in all caps in front makes it easier for me to to find it. Uh so Ken Paffy just threw it in. But I want to give a huge shout out to everyone who's become a Twitch sub. So for those of you watching the video version of this on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash crash the pond to be able to uh find us on there or the recorded version of this um on all your favorite podcast services. We do a live stream of this show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash the pond where you can help support the show in a way that's completely free to you. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, but it's completely free to you. If 
if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, you get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name, and I'm working on upgrading those uh, as we, not as we speak, but in the next little bit. But I want to give a shout out. We've had a bunch of people sub test tonight, so want to give a huge shout out to everyone. Science Cat 108, who's our good friend Jess uh, from our beer league team, subscribed at tier one for four months. Uh, guy, that guy Bobski resubscribed uh, for three months. We've had uh, Bionic Chris, who we've met in person. I think he's played in some of our podcast games a little bit. Resubscribed for nine months. Realized 92 subscribed. And then that guy Bobski uh, subs- uh, gifted out three subs. So he gave three subs to uh, to other people, to Wishy97, Sleeps Tiny, and Nate. So shout out to that guy Bobski for doing that for us. And Sean Seabolt uh, subscribed also just now. So thank you to everyone who has done that. Uh, let's get to some <sighs> questions, unless you have something you want to mention from the Twitch chat that's making you laugh. I just, I love this. I really hope that this bit sticks around of elite, booming, accurate shot on the PC. I hope that he <laughs> scores a power play goal, and it's just an inside joke that just, nobody yeah, except podcast I'm, listeners I'm praying think. that he just scores a, a Shea Weber-esque a one-timer and goal, and I just get this just avalanche of hate no, you you just need to tweet out in all caps, elite booming shot Cur- from Cody Curran. Yeah, Curran greater than, I don't know, <laughs> Headman or something. Oh. Uh, elite, so, elite booming. Uh, all right, all right. Oh, Shaken, I'm uh, Shaken Wings. This. Also, I forgot to say this. Shaken Wings also subscribed to us. But they said, uh, Jake, according uh, to me, according to Felix, I will never know what he looks like in Duck Skier either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a hater. <laughs> yep. All right. Kim Bafu asks us, has Zegras been in a bad team in recent history? I'm wondering how he will fare on a team like the Ducks. Will he get frustrated because of the rebuild? I know we talked about his leadership in the USA on the USA team, but that was a good gold winning uh, team for someone as cocky with or cocky as him. Will it hurt him to be on a not so good team? So Boston University, I think, was pretty solid last year. But, I mean, the World Junior team last year for the U.S., they didn't make it to the medal round. Mm -hmm. And he was still excellent for that team. And that was a team that had a lot of flaws that that wasn't this dominant force that they were this year. And granted, they weren't dominant completely, but he he was very good last year um, uh, for, for that Team USA that didn't beat finland in the quarterfinals yeah he doesn't so, he doesn't strike me as a as a pouty kind of player i think when he's playing he's playing to win and be the best player that he can be now he hasn't been on this ducks team which has been awful the last couple of years so maybe that'll wear him down but um no i i don't I, I don't really have a way of knowing but just from what i can gather it doesn't seem to be that doesn't seem to be him Yep. So M Young, who's brand new to Twitch chat, they mentioned this. They just found our channel and happy that they found it. They wish they would have earlier. So shout out to you. Uh, said, what's your guys' opinion on Steel for this upcoming season? Do you think we'll see what we were we were all expecting to see from him? Uh, you want to take the floor on this one? Uh, oh boy, are you you're you want, you're, you want me to, or you want me to start? You're just it? you're just putting me into the crosshairs. Well, I, I, will, I am one hundred percent. I will say this: uh, Sam Steele is going to be twenty three in less than a month, which even though some people might, might think that still puts him at it as a young player. I mean, he's still young. Don't get me wrong, but that's when you're entering your prime as an NHL player is those kind of early to mid twenties, you know, 23 to 25 is when you're really kind of coming into your own. And last season, Sam Steele wasn't good. I'm just going to like, let's just put that one to rest. He wasn't good. There were some flashes here and there on the power play specifically as an example, 
good playmaking there. I think he showed some decent passing chops, but he wasn't good overall. And the Ducks really carefully managed his minutes. They gave him good line mates. He had every opportunity to do well, and he didn't. So we can chalk that up to, well, he was 21-22, and at that point you're maybe still a little bit more on the development side of the curve. But this season, I don't think you can say that anymore. He's he's squarely entering his prime. He has a year of NHL experience under his belt. It's put up or shut up time. And based on what we saw last season, I don't have this huge belief that he's going to make this big jump. But if he is going to do it, it's probably going to be in this season. And I think that he did show enough skill, enough vision on the ice to where he could at least find a niche as a power play producer or as a guy who puts up some assists. So I'm not ruling it out, but I don't have this high degree of confidence in him going into this season. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think that... I don't think he's ever going to become um, become this great, great player for the Ducks. Um, I, I think that he's never going to be what we all thought he could potentially be after his, his high-point season that he put up in the WHL. I think that may have been a, a point of circumstance, a lot of different various things coming into play, maybe him dominating at, at that level, but that skill set didn't necessarily translate. Maybe we could be wrong here. Maybe as a breakout season, but I, I think that we'll see him settle in a little bit more this season, maybe generate some more points. I don't think, I, I mean, let me see where he was at last year, but it's hard to fully figure out the points because it's going to be a little bit different this season. But if he were to have settled in at, at around, I don't know, a 30 point season in a normal 82 game season, 30 to 40 point season, I think that would be probably a fair thing for him, maybe getting up to into the 40-point range. And I could see him being in that 30 or 40-point range. So I, I think that if we're going to half it, he probably will be 20-plus points is if, I, if I had to really put a number on it for his points. Um, so I, I think that he'll be solid, though. I think that's what yeah, you should I, be looking I could, for. I could see it happen. I, I'm not... I'm not saying it won't well, happen. Well, and I think, yeah. I think as a Ducks fan, you shouldn't be expecting him to necessarily become this elite uh playmaker for the ducks it doesn't just doesn't seem like that's in his game i think what you want to see is a guy that has decent transition offense can play in his own zone and be reliable for them potentially be a guy that can be useful in the penalty kill and maybe power you know who that sounds like adam henrique that sounds like troy terry i mean that is troy terry (laughs) that's what i'm saying yeah. Okay. Troy Terry's very good. Moving on. Throwing that in there. Uh, Ginger Wolf said, uh, do we expect a return to form from Raquel in this shortened season? Are we going to disagree on this? Uh, I mean, I think that by sheer volume, Ricard Raquel is going to be a first liner this year. I mean, he has been in years past, but I think that the first line is arguably, arguably going to be better this year because even though being taken off of Getzlaff's wing might seem like a bad thing, Ryan Getzlaff hasn't necessarily been awesome the last couple of years, while Adam Henrique has been good. So playing with Henrique and Silverberg, I think that uh, Raquel could actually see an uptick in his five-on-five production. And if the Ducks' power play is any better, which I think if you get Kevin Shattenkirk on there and an elite first-line center and Derek Grant in front of the net, then yeah, you're probably going to see a bit of an improvement on the power play. So I think, yeah, you could... I think people will probably come away from the season saying that, oh, Ricard Raquel is back. He may have never left, but I think his production will, will kind of get back a bit more to normal this season. 
Can, can I point everyone to the article? I think it was the first article I wrote for CrashThePawn.com uh, where I talked about Ricard Raquel seasons. And actually, if you look at the last couple of them, he actually put up better individual expected goals for numbers or individual expected goals totals uh, than he did when he was paired with Ryan Getzloff. And so he actually has been playing better now than he did then. He just hasn't had an elite talent feeding him the puck, basically. And as a result of that, his shooting percentage has dove. And when he had his greatest goal scoring season, when he put up 33 goals, he scored shot 18%. So we knew that probably wasn't going to remain. Um, and same thing with his 34 goal season, he shot 14.8%, but I mean, it dove down to 8%. He probably is more so in between. He's probably not an 8% shooter. He's probably closer to 12. I think we'll see a return to form, but that return to form is going to be closer in the 20 to 25 goal over the course of an 82 game season rather than a 30 to 35 point or 30 to 35 goal season. I think that's the thing for Ducks fans to understand that those high those 30 plus goal seasons were more so a result of playing with Getzloff than necess- and a high shooting percentage than it was necessarily Ricard Raquel. Yeah, I think that's fair. And so let's get it. We got a bunch of questions. So let's just keep going. Uh, let's see. Scientific Lance asks, what do you look forward to the most on game day? On game day? Just just in general? Yeah. Uh, on game days? <laughs> okay, this is going to sound kind of nerdy. But I just look forward to seeing the lines, the line rushes. <laughs> seeing if there's been any yes. changes. Seeing uh, what kind of tactics that the team is trying to use. And then once the game starts, I mean... Once that puck drops, I just I just eat it all up. I mean, it's that's kind of what we do this all for because we love watching the game. So everything that comes with it, I'm a big fan of. Yep, I completely agree. I think that line rushes are something that I really miss. Just the the minutia of waiting for that line rush to figure out what the lineup's going to be. See, see who's in. Derek Grant as the first line center. Thanks. Things like that. Thanks. Things of that nature. Thanks. Ugh. Ugh. Um, let's see the next question that we got from R. McKay said, uh, will the taxi squad hurt, hurt any young ducks developments in any ways? I don't think so. I mean, it's basically adding a, maybe a couple guys to the roster than there were previously, depending on how they use the taxi squad. But I think it's going to be more beneficial than, than negative because guys are going to be able to practice with the NHL team, stay with the NHL team without having to travel back and forth from the AHL. It's basically allowing paper transactions to happen no matter what. And I think that that's overall beneficial for some of these guys that are kind of tweeners. They're a bit bit too good at this point for the AHL, but not good enough for the NHL and need to get more experience. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, Bionic Chris asks us, do you see the Ducks re-signing Getzloff for one year at a time or will they just let him go? I think they re-sign him. I think they give him multiple years, to be honest. Agreed. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to go year by year with him and I don't think he's leaving. Uh, Lewis X 209 early cup final prediction. Ooh. Okay. Well, off the top of my head, you know, is this, is this I'm going to give you a boring pick. Really boring. You ready for it? Sure. Colorado, Tampa. <laughs> Too boring. I'll do Colorado. I'll do Colorado, Toronto. Ooh. I mean, I, I, I could see where you're coming from there because of the divisional alignment. Yeah. But I just think once Nikita Kucherov conveniently comes back for the playoffs, um, it's going to be game over for everybody else in the East. Actually, you know what? Let me yep. let me amend that. Colorado Montreal for the Cup <laughs> final. Wow, Homer. Uh, Sean Siebel asks, "Who would you claim off waivers?" And on that same boat, 
M. Young asks, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of players on waivers today. Two interesting names were Noah Juleson and Josh Hosang. Do you guys think either of them would be a beneficial pickup? So I know Noah Juleson <laughs> is a Montreal product, so you will know a little bit more about him. But my quick answer is it would be beneficial, but the Ducks can't. They, yeah, they just can't because yeah, the, 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 the cap situation. The Ducks are no longer in acquiring acquisition mode. Uh, they are uh, uh, having to jump through insane hoops just to do anything these days. So Yeah, as a result of kind of what we just talked about with the cap situation and losing juice, they cannot afford to add another player to stay under the cap. So the Ducks will not be claiming, at least in my opinion, unless they make some alternative moves afterwards, they will not be uh, acquiring anyone through uh, waivers. Yeah. And so I think that e- even if I would have wanted them to, I don't think they're going to. Yeah, no. Um, so let's see. Let's get to some more of these, but we'll probably have to cut off some that are coming in right now. Sorry, folks. We have a lot of questions coming in, trying to get to as many as we can before we sign off, but we're getting at the hour 40 mark right now. Yeah. Uh, Shaken Wing says, who do you think will get traded this year? Ooh, well, see, a lot of this depends on how the team will do. Because if the Ducks do well, I don't really see anyone getting traded, right? Because if if things are going well, that's because the moves you've made to that point are probably working out. So, and then there are some guys that you just don't want to move from because you kind of need them for, um, you know, expansion draft purposes. So I don't really see any big trades or noteworthy trades in the in the pipeline here, what do you think? Um, I mean, Sonny Milano is weirdly a, a trade candidate. Sonny Milano or Danton Heinen. Yeah. Or, or I, David I Backus, if you want to throw him in there. No, no. I don't think they trade David Backus. I think they want David Backus, weirdly enough. That's that's um, that's I, been your, your hill to die on well, for years now. Well, no, that's actually CJ's hill to die on. Oh, okay. There we go. Even better. Well, no, I think Heinen, yeah. Heinen and Milano, I guess if I had to pick someone, would be those guys. Because I just still think that as much as they want to see what they have in those guys, um, they kind of got them for, I don't want to say nothing, because they did have to give up Nick Ritchie to get Dan Heinen. But, I mean, they gave up Devin Shore to get Sonny Milano, which isn't much. So, moving on from those guys, I don't think that there's just much tying them to them. Whereas the Ducks really want to see, I think, what they can get out of Max Jones and Max Contois. And although Heinen is right now on the right side, they're still wingers that are kind of all trying to fight for the same spot. So if, and I mean, Dallas Higgins made this puzzling comment uh, earlier about how Max Contois and, you know, he, you know, when he was comparing, you know, talking about why Sonny Milano wasn't on that line, that third line or second line. And then he talked about, you know, just it's just different looks. And, well, you know, Milano, you might get more speed or you might get more skill. But with Con- with Jones and Contois, you get some more structure. And I was just very confused at that statement because Max Contois was awful defensively last year. I mean, just terrible. And Max Jones, I, I guess he's okay defensively, but... Specifically with Contois, I don't really see much of a structure upgrade there at all. If anything, he's a downgrade. So if he's already not that high on Sonny Milano and there's already these other bodies that he's trying to get in there that he's higher on, um, I think we may see a situation like a Daniel Sprung scenario where he just can't get into the lineup and they end up trading him for like a Christian Juice type, just another guy who kind of fits that same mold, can't get into the lineup. Yeah, so let's get to two more questions, then we'll sign off for the night. Um, so 
SCS Per, who I know is a great uh, patron of ours, says, "What changes, if any, do you want to see the Ducks uh, in or see to the Ducks system, i.e., strategy on the power play, even strength breakouts, etc." Uh, power play, just more cross ice passing, more ways to get the puck through this through the slot through that Royal Road area. Um, just just more pinging around the the zone, right? Instead of just working it around the horn, making sure you're not losing it. Actually, get that penalty kill unit moving and create some three on twos, create some advantageous situations. So to me, it's it's all about the power play right now. If I'm gonna distill it to one thing. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. I think getting more chances on the rush is something I would like to see a little bit more. I think the offense can be a little bit stagnant and rely on kind of the cycling game at times. And so I'd like to see, especially with the the influx of talent that they have, to be a little bit more on the transition side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that guy Bobski said, you mentioned broadcast changes. What former Ducks players would you want to bring into the Ducks live crew that could bring a BX-like character? Okay, so I was going to say not well, named. He, he nailed. Not named. He BXA. nailed it. It's it's Kevin BX. Okay, so if you couldn't pick Kevin BX, if you couldn't pick <laughs> Kevin BX, now I'm really kind of racking my. It'd brain have to be for, someone that's retired. Guy. It would. It definitely would have to be someone that would be retired. Would be retired. Um, I mean, there's not really anyone that necessarily. Brad May would be good. Mm, okay. Brad. Brad you would May, know this granted, better than I would. Brad, Brad May, I think, would be a good guy. I mean, you've heard he's a broadcaster now, and I think he's fun for that type of element and brings that kind of entertaining element to a broadcast. So I'd say let's just go with Mayday. That's one that came to mind. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think that's probably going to do it. I saw your question. I mentioned it, M. Young, about Pierre-Luc Dubois. We, we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> no, we, we talked about it more. We, we talked about it we last talked about episode. It last week. I mean, and, just very, mm-hmm. very brief. The Ducks should do it. The Ducks are mentioned as being in on that, being in on Dubois. They should do it. They should do whatever it takes to well, get Well, that's him. the thing. I mean, to, to kind of touch on that a little bit, because it is noteworthy. I mean, Pierre Lebrun, in a very classic wishy-washy insider way, said that the Ducks are making sure to monitor the situation. Something to that effect. Um, and then the fourth period came out and mentioned that as well. So the Ducks are at least keeping tabs on Pierre-Luc Dubois, and he's 22. He's already shown that he has really good potential to be a first-line center. He's already been that, and um, if you're the Ducks, I just don't know what you're waiting for to get it done. I mean, there's been talk that Dubois, you know, even if it doesn't happen now, it could happen later on, so maybe the Ducks are going to give their situation a shot with their current group. And if things go south or maybe they're just looking to upgrade, then you bring in Dubois later in the season. But this is definitely something to monitor because this could really change the trajectory, the current trajectory of the Ducks franchise. Now, the question is, of course, what will the cost be? And that's something that we just haven't heard anything about because if they, uh, if they ask for Trevor Zegras, I mean, is that just a flat no for you? I think that has to be a flat no for you. Let's say that they... Let's say that then Columbus includes a pick, for example, a first round pick. No, I I don't really. Think so you're that high point. on Zegras to where you would. I, I don't. Dubois. I think you got to see what you have in Zegras first. Okay. I, I think. Okay. I, I think if I mean just looking at it briefly from a Columbus perspective, they're they're a team that wants to be good now, and losing Dubois hurts that. So they're going to want players that will help them now. Mm-hmm. So I think that you could potentially do this without hurting your future. It could maybe hurt the now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are, if you're acquiring Pierre-Luc Dubois, maybe you have to get rid of a Ricard Raquel, maybe a, a Jacob Silverberg, maybe a Hampus Lindholm, maybe someone of, of those calibers in order to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. So you're hurting your team now, 
but it's going to help the team in the future because don't forget, this is something I didn't, I had forgotten, but Pierre-Luc Dubois is 22. He was the Austin Matthews draft. Yeah. Like this is not a guy that's that old. This no. is like <laughs> people may think it's crazy to train Hampus Lindholm, but Hampus Lindholm is four or five years older than Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah. And, 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 and Hampus Lindholm's game has taken a bit of a downtick the last couple of years. So, yeah. So I, I think if you can maybe get away with giving them a prime age talent and not losing really a younger player, that may be beneficial for them. Yeah. Uh, um, Fatcheralt <laughs> brings up Sam Steele is older than Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah. And look what Dubois has already done in his career, in his NHL career. So kind of yeah. says it all, doesn't um, it? By the way, Halo's Ducks brings up the best person to be included in Ducks Live. Something we didn't talk about. Ilya Brizgalov. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want that every game. Spe- special okay, guest. Every, one, once a week. Once yeah, a week once guest. a week. I, you know, I don't know if I want that every game. Not going to lie. Uh, actually, you know who I think would be good and I think actually is a good broadcaster is Brian Burke. Yeah. Yeah, Berkey. I, I think Berkey, Brian Burke ties to the organization. And I think it would be entertaining because I don't think he would have any issues calling out Bob Murray. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If there's anyone who has the clout to not have to worry about that, uh, it's Brian Burke. Or who might just not give a yeah. shit either way. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's going to call out Bob Murray, and Bob Murray's going to come to him. He's like, I gave you this job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would actually love that because we might yeah. we might find out a bit more than we found out uh, in recent yeah. years. So there we go. I think that's going to do it for us tonight, though. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks everybody for you know being so uh, engaged in our Twitch chat. That was pretty awesome. Um, and like Jake already mentioned, if you want to join the fun, we usually go live Sunday evenings, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Jake already went over all the perks, but you should do it. It's a lot of fun. Um, now, there are a few different ways to support our show. Um, I'll just get into the one of the main ones right now because this has really helped us kind of keep things going in such a... Well, it's not 2020 anymore, but in what was a very difficult year, uh, 2020, our Patreon page. So that's where you get to make a monthly pledge, a donation every month, um, and you actually get some perks from that while also helping the show kind of keep chugging along. So for a dollar a month, our dollar tier, uh, you get access to our patrons-only Discord chat, which you know has always been great, but I would say in the last couple months has kind of taken on a life of its own. It's, it, it's ramped up and it is so much fun. yeah so during the draft specifically and then uh free agency so that would have been god when would that have been october and, um and now and now in world juniors yeah you know people really started chiming in getting a lot of engagement there and it's kind of become its own thing sometimes jake and i won't even be in there and people will just you know like during these world junior games we'll just be kind of going back and forth and it's it's a great place if you're a diehard fan because everyone in there um, you know, everyone's coming in from a good place. Everyone's trying to just, you know, discuss what's going on. No one's coming in there to argue or troll or, or anything like that. And to be honest, on the internet these days, uh, there are very few places like that that exist. They're <laughs> yeah. so wholesome. And so I highly recommend it. I mean, it's it's $1 a month, and it actually helps us out, even though it might not seem like a lot. Now, you can upgrade that, and you still benefit even more. So for a $5 a month... You still get access to the Discord chat, but you also get access to two bonus episodes. And um, these episodes, you know, we get we get to go more into league-wide topics. So we'll talk about different teams. We'll do uh, rankings. We'll do awards picks, different things like that. But we also get more in-depth into different Ducks topics. 
that maybe we don't have as much time to talk about on these more big picture stuff. And, you know, if you enjoy the lighter side of this show as well, um, you know, some of the banter, there is quite a bit of that as well. Some of those can go completely off the rails. We've had ones where we talk about the Mandalorian for half the show. That's great. It was um, great. It was and great. so anyway, if, if any of that does sound good to you, uh, check out patreon.com slash crash the pond. And, and want to give a shout out to our recent patrons. So we had Sherry Vander Dusen uh, on January 4th uh, jump in and we had Will Harrison jump in, do the year subscription, which is something I should mention. Mm-hmm. If you want to subscribe to any of the tiers, you can do a year subscription, save 10%. So instead of paying month by month, uh, at the, the same rate, you get actually it comes out to a to little go, cheaper to prepay. You. Yeah. And I also do want to mention all patrons. When you're listening to this, keep a lookout. We're going to test out something on Patreon. They have a live streaming service of their own for only patron member or patrons of the show. We're going to do a watch along of the, the opening night game. And yeah. so if you want to hear me and Felix, talk over the broadcasters and give our opinion and just essentially watch the game along with us throughout the three hours. We are going to basically uh, do that throughout the entire thing. Crookbrooks, can we sing a song about Tony Hawk? Maybe if you're, if you join us on the Patreon, maybe through the watch along, I'll sing a song about Tony Hawk. Um, (laughs) But it's a good time. And it might be something if all things go well, there may be another tier that will have a couple of watch alongs a month. And so, Keep an eye out for that. The first one, obviously, is going to be for all patrons to join in. We're going to test this thing out and see how it goes. Yeah, I'm really excited for that because, you know, there are people that maybe want a different look for the broadcast. And we're not really trying to replace the broadcast. We don't know necessarily how we're going to kind of do it yet. But you'll get to you'll have our in-game commentary, you know, as opposed to seeing it through Twitter or getting on the pod later. It'll be just live as it's coming in. And so you can instead of having to only listen to the commentators, you get to get our, our takes as well. And I think that that you, you can hear if Cody Coran's playing every single time he's on the yeah. ice and takes a slap shot, every, I'll just mention booming shot from the point. Every time he does something well, you can just bash me in there. That, that would be great. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's at patreoncom slash crash the pond. So a lot of exciting stuff that's happening there. Now, of course, you know, if money is tight, that's completely understandable. Um, there are still definitely a bunch of different ways to support our show. Um, one of them that I think is one of the best, uh, if you go to Apple podcasts, you search crash the pond, we should come up pretty quickly. You go click on that and you can leave a five-star rating. You can only do that. And that would already help, but you could do that and also leave a review. And if you leave the review, first off, we love hearing from you guys goes a long way in helping us climb up those charts. And we will also read that review on the pod. So this week, no new reviews, we but we will read them if there are any that come down the pipe here. So um, do you want to point that out? Now, of course, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, that's no problem. We've got you covered elsewhere. So I've actually started listening to podcasts more on Spotify. So I'm going to feature a Spotify a little bit here, but you can search for us there and add us to your podcast feed. And um, I highly recommend it because I'm enjoying listening to, to podcasts on Spotify. We're also on YouTube. So if you're someone that likes to get your podcasts in video form and you can also see some of the graphics that we put up during the Twitch chat, um, well, then just go over to youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure to subscribe to us there and make sure to turn on the notifications so that you get notified as soon as our episodes go up. Now, another thing that I would mention is that, you know, the comments there are pretty active. So if you leave a comment, 
uh, you know, Jake will jump in there and uh, engage. And, you know, there's some good back and forths in there. And we do appreciate everybody that's leaving comments. Um, outside of that, a couple other things that I do want to mention. So we are going to be posting a lot of articles over the next few weeks at crashthepond.com. And that's our actual website. So make sure to check that out. We tweet out the articles at Crash the Pond on Twitter. You can also follow Crash the Pond on Facebook. Jake will be blasting out his own content at Reindeer Games 91 on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. Jake, anything else you want to throw in here before we get out? Um, couple things. So first off, weekly rankings. They're going to be coming back this season, folks. Oh. And so for those of you that don't know... This was a fun little thing that I started when we were in Anaheim Calling. would write an article basically breaking down, putting the Ducks into uh, tiers of stars, whether they were a five-star player, four-star player over the past week, and ranking a random topic along with it. So if you want to see me rank something like fast food, different things like that, start throwing them my if way. Wanna, I'll, I'll start putting them into if, the, the if log of see, things to go if you on. you want to see incorrect takes. Very good takes. And the other thing, I'm actually going to be starting to do something really fun starting on Saturday with uh, Tyler Tunnell. Um, who is at the Frostback in our Twitch chat right now. Uh, we're going to be doing a podcast uh, on fantasy-focused channel, um, breaking down uh, the DFS slate, going through Monkey Knife Fight's DFS slate, talking about DraftKings, uh, Yahoo, a lot of things like that, and I'm really, really excited for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. For those of you out there, probably know I really enjoy playing DFS and had a lot of fun with it. So excited to be able yeah, to talk if, about if that you're a, more if in you're depth. If you're a DFS player, you should go listen because Jake wins a lot of money on DFS. Doesn't really doesn't really put it. I do all right. He doesn't really put it out there, but uh, I do all right. He's a, he's had some big wins. So if you're trying to make money yes. uh, and do it through those avenues, uh, I would recommend that. Of course, I mean if we're plugging away at our content here i will have a couple articles up this week over at the fourth make sure to check it out uh follow dave pagnota on twitter uh at the fourth period for some breaking news because been put into question a bit in the last week but um turns out those questions were incorrect incorrect doubt so anyway all that being said thanks everybody for listening uh to our show i can't believe that it's finally here that the next time we talk to you there will be ducks games to break down but I'm excited for it. Hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you in just a little bit here. Have a good one. Bye.